The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of the Highlander Podcast, we talk with Janine Pesh, the founder, creative, and editorial director of Range a creative agency specializing in all things design, content, and trend for the outdoor and active industries. We talk about Janine's experience building a remote business and team and the future of work and design. Welcome back, everyone. This is Chase. And joining me today is Janine Pesh, uh, the founder, creative, and editorial director of Range. Hey, Chase. How's it going? Going pretty good, considering everything that's going on right now. Um, Thanks for joining me. Um, how are you doing, first of all? We are doing well. We are um, tucked in in Vancouver, British Columbia, and our family is healthy and happy and together and just kind of enjoying this this moment um, to be home. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. I want to talk just how that's been for you, like working and being home and, and how that's different from what you'd been doing before. Like you've been working from home for a while and remotely and, and yeah. managing a remote team and, and would love to hear like how that's been different and, totally. um, you know, the positives and negatives of that. But um, overall, glad, glad to hear that you're doing well and safe. And we talked a little off air and glad to hear that Canada is, controlling things as best as can be. Um, Wanted to have you on just because it's, I mean, I wanted to talk to you anyways. We we have a good time talking. We've talked for however long before this and have gone down quite a few (laughs) rabbit holes already, but wanted to talk to you, especially um, just with now being such an uncertain time. And I think your perspective and your whole background like you're a fortune teller, right? In a way, like you're, you're, you look into the future the best you can. Um, and I know you've been asked quite a bit, you know, about your perspective and where we're going and what you see coming. Um, but wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and kind of the future of work today. Do, but I guess we should back up a little bit and just talk a little bit about your background. Um, I alluded to some of that, but do you mind just giving us a little backstory of kind of where you've come from and, and where you're at right now? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I am the founder and creative director of Range. Um, I have a degree in fashion design from Drexel University in Philadelphia. Um, I originally wanted to be a costume designer. Um, There is a lot of overlap between technical performance apparel and really intricate um, detail-oriented costume design. (laughs) A lot of hand work, a lot of like attention to detail. So there's a bit of a symbiosis there. Um, When I graduated from school, I started to work at a French trend forecasting agency called Promosteel, which is um, definitely still 
around and thriving and definitely works a lot with the outdoor and active industries. Um, and from there, I went to work at a digital agency called stylesite.com, which is now WGSN.com. And in between and during, I have moonlighted as an editor, a stylist, a producer, um, a bartender, all sorts of things in between. Uh, but I definitely stay busy. Yeah, what what was it about? Um, well, now you're kind of bringing together editorial, um, your love of fashion, trend, all into one place, which is range. Can, yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about like how that came together and and how you were able to bring together so many of your interests and passions and expertise together? Yeah, that's definitely not a linear path. I created, I carved out a a space for myself in an industry which like. I wouldn't say really this kind of position existed. Um, when I started working in trend forecasting um, in the early 2000s, I, I ended up by default being the person on the team that worked with the sporty brands. Like all the other women on the team were really like more true to fashion and and true to design. And I had spent my formative years, um, you know, in the skateboard industry and um, snowboarding and bikes. And, you know, I just, I loved camping and being outside. I just had this like personal passion in, in sports and action sports and the outdoors. So I was able to kind of like build this bridge for myself um, between that passion and my professional consulting career. And um, at the time, this was kind of at the very height of streetwear and action sports entering kind of the mainstream and bike culture and all things like that just kind of becoming more prevalent. And I just like inherently understood the nuances of those subcultures and was able to um, apply that to the work I was doing with brands and brands, the brands at the time I was working with were you know, the North Faces and the Patagonias and the Nikes of the world. And um, I ended up becoming one of the very few people in the world that focused on trend forecasting just for the outdoors and active um, industries. So it was really almost accidental. And it definitely wasn't, like I said earlier, a linear path. Was that just instinctively in you to like carve out your own path and... and kind of just go your own direction. I, I think that's a really important lesson right now. It's like during yeah. such a turbulent time, so many of us are going to have to forge our own path or create our own opportunities because maybe they're just not out there uh, for us. Um, how did you How did you do that? You know, when I graduated from college with a fashion design degree and started working in New York in the garment district, like pretty much everybody does in the fashion industry, I, I liked it and but I didn't like love it. I felt like there was something missing. And when I started working in trend forecasting, although it was incredibly abstract, the idea of like, well, what is trend forecasting? It's not this very like, you know, this thing you can kind of like put your finger on. It's a little bit more tangential. Um, I, I, I felt really inspired by it and I didn't, I didn't even know the outdoor industry existed until I started to work at Promo Steel. So one of my first experiences was at Outdoor Retailer in like 2005, I believe. Um, this is when it was in Salt Lake City and it was um, 
you know, half the size that it is now, maybe even a quarter of the size, like only one of the halls was filled. And my job was going to be to go to outdoor retailer and do a trend presentation. And I was like, whoa, this place, like, well, this is so cool. Like, holy, like, this is a thing. Like I can, you know, I can talk to people about camping and hiking and climbing and mountain biking and kayaking. Like I just didn't even realize that it was like, a place you could go and and meet other like-minded people that had similar interests and passions. So I was kind of taken by it immediately. I, and I knew that like I was an outsider coming from the fashion industry. Um, but I knew I wanted to be a part of it. I didn't know how I was going to make that happen, but I was just going to be really like relentless about it. I was just going to figure out a way in. So um, every, every outdoor retailer I went back. So twice a year for the next, you know, 15 years. And then it became three times a year. Um, and I would be doing trend presentations and building my rep, my relationships with clients and engaging with more brands at OR. And, um, I just said to myself, like, this is where I want to be. I love the people in this industry. I love that. It's so perfect purpose driven. Um, I love how welcoming everyone is and I want to just figure out what my place in it is and what do I bring to this industry? You know, like I have a really diversified background coming from fashion, understanding design, understanding the editorial side of the business a bit, understanding the production side of the business a bit. So I was able to kind of come at it from this very three dimensional angle where I could understand how all of these different verticals within the industry kind of like work together and complemented each other. So I just started to think like, well, how can I be effective and add value? Um, so I started to kind of stitch together this like methodology that would eventually become what ranges now, which is um, trend forecasting and strategy and kind of like content development. So I, one of the things that I think is really interesting about range um, and, and just the fact that you've been able to pull so many of your interests and your expertise together into this, this entity is, I mean, you're, you look into the future, you look at um, kind of where things are going, but you also have the editorial side where you're telling stories. Do you find yourself kind of in an interesting situation where you're predicting the future, but in a way you're also like moving the needle or moving the future or you're, you're moving things in the direction of the future yeah. that you're seeing. Does that, does that make sense? Definitely. And, and, you know, I've kind of said before, I've said this before, like range, especially on the editorial arm of the, of what we do is really like a big co-op. It's, it's really this echo chamber, not in the, in the bad way of being an echo chamber, but it's this like this platform to amplify message messaging and narratives that like we're all experiencing in the industry at the same time. So like we talked a little bit offline, you and I, about this idea of like oral tradition preserving these stories of like what's come before us and how the industry has evolved. And and for me, like range, especially the magazine, you know, like to your point, the editorial side of it um, has really been a, a tool to really aggregate and, and um, catalog some of these stories and the messages. And um, I didn't really even realize at first that I had, 
been basically crowdsourcing like trend information from all different corners. When I started putting the magazine out, we would launch the magazine with like a call for submissions. So I would essentially queue up what the theme for the magazine was going to be, whether it was going to be about progress or sustainability or, um, you know, whatever the narrative of that issue was going to be. And I would kind of deploy that call for submission out into the, into the internet world. And I would get back all of these different interpretations of whatever that theme was. So in a sense, it was almost like receiving all of this crowdsourced trend information that like or happened organically. It's kind of like fascinating. And each issue has been kind of, for me, a bit of a milestone as to like where the industry has been or where it's heading for sure. I think that's one of the beautiful things just about range, like as an organization, what, what I, I, I see you standing for is like in a way, the, the way that you like crowdsourced these ideas, these, these stories, it's, it's representative of, or at least striving to be representative of what the industry is or truly is. Right. Um, um, whereas I, I feel like a lot of the previous narratives, right. Is like, Oh, the outdoor industry is one region of the country, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're outdoorsy if you're in like mm-hmm. this geography or or by mountains, right? Whereas mm-hmm. you're you're crowdsourcing ideas and, and people's experiences in the outdoor industry from all over the country and and, and the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the outdoors isn't just mountains; it's it's cities, it's and it's yeah. everywhere in between, and it's and it's all people, right? So I, I think you're kind of usher helping usher in this idea that no, the outdoors is for for everyone. Yeah, I hope so. I, I I didn't intend to set it up that way either. It was just genuinely my own curious nature, you know, like that led me down this path of like wanting to do things differently. And like here, I'm definitely like one of those people that pushes back against the status quo. And I, I kind of always have been, I have a bit of an authority complex that I've carried throughout my, with me through my entire life. So if somebody tells me it's supposed to be a certain way, I'm like, no, 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 let's figure out another way. Or there must be a better way. I'm always like pushing back against what the expectation is. And the expectation when I entered the industry was that fashion and design and the outdoors did not have any business cohabitating and I was like no I don't buy any of that like that they are not you know mutually exclusive they can exist in harmony together and that has always been what's driven me to like prove this point that like things can be design driven and functional simultaneously and built with intention um and still you know serve a purpose (laughs) for an end use you know like I'm definitely one of those people like doesn't take no for an answer and I'm quite stubborn. So that probably also played a role in me carving out this role for myself in the industry. Yeah. Well, with all that said, how do you feel like, I mean, just that idea of, I mean, the the, kind of the outdoor industry becoming more democratized, maybe, you know, not, it's not completely there necessarily, but, um, and your ability to carve out your own lane. Um, how do you feel like that, you know, prepared you, nothing can prepare you for what we're facing right now, but how do you reconcile the kind of those ideas and and values that, that you espouse with what's happening right now? The word resilience comes to mind. Like I had to 
not only convince myself that I belonged in the industry, but I had to convince, you know, the people that had come before me that had kind of created the culture um, that I could be a part of it, even though I was a New Yorker um, that came to the industry from a very non-endemic point of view. Um, it's interesting, like, although I'm from Brooklyn and I grew up in the city, my father was an Eagle Scout and my grandfather worked in the Civilian Conservation Corps, which actually um, was part of the New Deal that Teddy Roosevelt um, rolled out. And it he built a lot of the infrastructure of like the national park system. So although my family comes from like a city or an urban environment, we actually have a really um, very deep seated connection of the outdoors. We're kind of our family. We like to call ourselves naturalists, even though we are um, from Brooklyn. So, you know, I was just, I think this idea of like, no one's going to just hand it to you or kind of like open the door for you to walk in. This industry is built on performance and like proving yourself, um, whether that's like literally, you know, summiting or climbing, um, you know, or throwing up a route that's treacherous and, and, and not easy to achieve, or it's, it's figuratively and like, finding your place in the industry, you know, like this industry is, and it's just so real. And like, even though it is, it is real, it is real and it is authentic. I think, you know, it needs to also be questioned and like evolved. So I did, I think it's just about like finding what drives you, like what's the real reason you want to be in the industry? Like where, and where do you add the most value? And how can you create the most change given the, the skills you have? Right. I think that's especially relevant um, considering everything that's going on right now. And, and a lot of the rules are kind of thrown out the window right now a little bit. And I mean, this is the, op I don't want to ever say this is an opportunity, but like, well, you know, there's, there's a chance for people to, to like show that resilience and, yeah. and um, you know, you can work for um, for any company from anywhere in the world right now. Like this is an opportunity for people to come in and, and yeah. uh, you know, if they seize it and, and show some of that resilience, but. It's the great reset. And mm -hmm. it's like, is there a gray space in the market that hasn't been filled yet? Now's the time, like get scrappy, do a DIY, you know, bring something to market that hasn't been brought to market in a really scrappy way. Like you can, you have the permission to do that now. It doesn't, business as usual is no longer applicable. I think this is really the time for people to, um, like think about what really excites them and drives them and like harness that energy and then project it out into the world. I, yeah, I agree. And I think just even at like a very basic level, I feel like everyone's kind of there's just kind of been a great leveling in a way that reset that you mentioned. And I, I think people are just realizing, Oh, you know what? We just like, I, I don't know how many people have started podcasts during this time. Right. Or how many people have done Instagram lives and yeah. just have conversations. Right. And, and kind of seizing this opportunity to, with kind of a leveling, um, to just put themselves out there more, um, in a way I'm, you've probably seen that, but I don't know how many more Instagram lives I've seen popping up in my feed more recently. But I, I see that as people kind of taking this 
this chance to to step up and put themselves out there and and you know I don't know I don't know how to read into that but there seems to be something there. Well, I think that like it's this idea that like the idea of a fully virtual world still seemed like the future and like now it, the future is here and we're all like scrambling to understand how to use the tools and the technology and the resources that exist to help, you know, jump headfirst into that future. And obviously there's no like master course on like marketing during the time of COVID. I mean, now there is, but there wasn't (laughs) before this started. So everybody is just trying to figure out like where they fit in and, you know, how they fit into the equation and like what, feels right and on brand for them, whether they're like a content creator or they're, you know, representing a brand themselves. Like what is the way that we can like authentically pivot to this like new virtual conversation? Right. I think the, like just the adoption of these tools that have always been around like right now, because it's the only way that we're, we can have connection is really interesting. And like, I'm, I'm guilty myself in a way it's, you know, we could have been doing more Zoom calls with with people from across the industry, but we had been opting for, well, let's try to bring industry guests to our campus mm-hmm. uh, to engage with our students and, and share insights. And there's huge value in doing that in the in-person. Um, but in some ways, we were limiting, limiting ourselves to who could fly out here. You know, there, there's so many constraints around that. It's like geography. Does the company have budget to send that person out? Right now, you know, I, I can talk to anyone and share with our students. You know, it's that leveling that we're talking about. And, and now I'm trying to keep up and say, well, man, I, how could I have been using zoom before to, to connect yeah. our students and our, our program yeah. um, to the best talent out there and the, the people that our students need to hear from. So uh, that kind of leads me into how do you see companies using technology and tools like moving into the future, you know, obviously a lot more zoom calls going on a lot, you know, just kind of a need to collaborate apart. Do you see more tools being used when it comes to product creation? Our program so focused on product design, product creation. How do you see um, that process of creating products changing um, with teams that are apart, you know, when you're making physical products? Yeah. I mean, the shift to online platforms will have a lasting effect on how the entire industry does business with an even longer term impact on the way brands, you know, engage IRL when it comes to production and sampling and resourcing. So that will, that, that we're never going back to the way things were before. Everyone has to think about this as just like a major course correction in terms of the global supply chain. Um, I definitely think like, we're going to see more virtual tools emerge, more apps emerge, more ways for us to communicate virtually more seamlessly. Um, As people get more comfortable with communicating with each other virtually and sharing ideas virtually, you know, some of those, the, the, some of the, like the difficulties and the glitches, like, you know, user experience and tech and like Wi-Fi will start to really like, you know, present themselves. So if we are shifting to this like virtual um, 
approach, we need to make sure that like the tech can support us as well. I mean, we've even had trouble today, like having our Zoom call with like shoddy Wi-Fi. So it definitely brings into consideration, you know, access and accessibility to um, some of those resources. There are some interesting updates that I've seen roll out recently, you know, like virtual trade shows, like this new thin air gear show and digital showrooms and um, AR and AI, you know, tech that's going to basically enable people to try on things in 3D. And, you know, this is all stuff we saw coming, but nobody wanted to embrace it, especially not the outdoor industry. Um, I did a panel at out at outdoor retailer at the ranger station over the summer about digital disruption and outdoor disruptors. And it was like really hard to find really disruptive people in the outdoor space to speak on this panel. Um, and our moderator did a hell of a job trying to unpackage it <laughs> for the audience. But, you know, we talked about like Bitcoin and crowdsourcing and, you know, AI and AR, and it seemed like, oh, whoa, this is crazy. And it's like, now we've arrived there. So um, I think that brick and mortar and IRL and like face-to-face -face connections are always, are always going to be important, but we're, we're going to also have to like triple down on what it means to communicate and engage and create virtually with each other. Yeah, we, we had started seeing you know, tools like Clo, Browseware, you know, 3D apparel design tools. We, we had started to see that and, and some of the brands that we work with, you know, have adopted those and been using those. And, um, but some of those companies, they, they just can't find enough people who know how to use those, those 3D tools. And it was almost like a novelty. It was like, oh, these are, these are cool, but most of our team just knows how to do tech flats. And, you know, we design everything in Illustrator and, um, it's kind of like you said, it's a lot of it was there. Um, but now, you know, with everyone apart, you know, being able to visualize something as a team seems even more important, right? Yes, if you can get like photorealistic or as photorealistic as you can with the product, um, you know, that, you know, that just seems like a game changer. And it's now it's just like, is I imagine will become the bare minimum, right? It's like, oh no, we Definitely. we need something that gives me a photorealistic, um, you know, look at what this product is. Like this, you know, two D flat pattern isn't really going to help me when I'm away from my team and I can't handle the physical item. And also, like when I went to university for fashion design, we didn't have Illustrator and Photoshop, so like we were doing everything by hand. And that changed dramatically even like five years from when I was out of school. So it's like we have to just keep evolving. And I think especially um, from the perspective of like education and the universities, like this is just, and this is why I work so closely with, with you, Chase, and the schools. It's like, you know, the students are the future of the industry and they need to be the ones that are ready to take it on those new roles and like lead the charge when it comes to technology and automation, which is ultimately coming, you know, and like we can't, we have to be able to own it and take ownership of it and feel empowered to um, understand it as, as opposed to kind of being like, oh no, we're not ready for that just yet. I mean, there's a lot of data out there um, that supports, you know, how people are going to be spending money socially, you know, through their mobile devices. There's a lot of data out there that 
um, supports um, a conversion to a sale when a user has the opportunity to see something in 3D. Um, there are new platforms emerging every day that are bringing together um, entertainment and experience and shopping. I mean, in Asia alone, um, there's tons of platforms that approach shopping from this perspective and not just this commerce perspective. You know, it's like this hybrid of like social network and entertainment and commerce all coming together. And like, we're going to need to do more than just like an Amazon fulfillment center or like a Facebook marketplace here in the U S if we want to keep up with that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I kind of going back a little bit, I, I think about, you know, some of the students that, that we have in our program who just graduated and what a time to graduate. Um, but the ones, you know, there's been a couple really interesting success stories coming out of this graduation. Um, you know, some of the students who really embraced like 3D, some of these new tools that, um, you know, they got some of in class, but really dove in uh, on their own. Um, one in particular did an internship with Under Armour um, during the, this last semester. And, and because he had like fully embraced Clo and 3D apparel design, um, he was extended an, an opportunity to continue to work with them like upon graduation in an in, insane time um, to find work. And it's because he had um, a really valuable, you know, tool. Like he, he understood how to use this tool um, that, that not many people really have fully embraced yet. And, and I think we're going to start to see more people embracing it now just out of pure need right um but it's it's been nice to see some of those success stories and and that just hits home for me it's like no we we need to be on the forefront and keep looking at what's coming next and what are those tools that we need to be experimenting with and and um you don't graduate get your piece of paper and you're set right it's like no you're constantly learning like you have to be constantly learning and and if you ever sit back for too long um yeah you're kind of going to get washed away but what what have you learned about yourself, uh, you know, like having to teach yourself new things? I mean, you've, you know, yeah. uh, you know, what, what's that experience been like for yeah. you? Just having to like constantly push yourself to, to learn, to adapt, yeah. to, to teach yourself new things. And, and how yeah. has that helped um, in your success? So it's interesting. Like it, it's easy to beat yourself up, especially as I come, I'm, I'm technically a millennial, um, I'm at the very, 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 um, tip of the millennial, um, cohort. And I, I am one of the people who understands what it's like to have both an analog and a digital life. You know, like I lived in a time before the internet and then I was one of the first, you know, generationally speaking, kids to learn how to use the internet. And um, there's always something you think you don't know enough of, especially when it comes to tech. Um, I often feel like a Luddite when it's like, okay, you know, pivot and everything. Okay, now we only use Slack and now we're using cloud. You know, like all these things that I feel like our boomer parents struggled with. I'm like, oh no, I get that. I get it now. I definitely keep an eye on things, but... Um, I think like I, my friend Alyssa um, Ravicio, who founded HipCamp, I have this quote that I keep of hers like 
on my on the wall next to me so I can look at it. And it has to do exactly with this. And it's she taught herself how to code so she could build build hip camp. And she said, for me, coding is practice like yoga or surfing. It is a skill I can eternally improve. An art form so infinitely complex that it cannot be mastered. I find deep peace in these practices because there is no pressure of an endpoint. Just a lifetime of working towards mastery. The path is the goal. I love that. This idea that like true learning is never you're never you're never done with it you're never finished with that journey it's just this constant evolution and this constant um recalculation or pivot towards the next the next thing you could you could you could enrich yourself with i i like that more than i feel like the way that i asked the question it was i feel like subconsciously there was like a little there's some competitive nature in that it's like oh well you know what skills do i need to learn in order to stay ahead or keep up this mm-hmm. seems so different it's like all about what do i need to do myself like it's it's less yeah. about like how do i keep up but how do i perfect my own craft and yeah it's a little bit more like esoteric and eastern when you think about it that way mm-hmm. right and we're so driven by this western idea of success and career and culture that we often lose sight of like what we truly want to be doing. And, and again, the, the, what we're really good at, you know, I can say that for myself. When I started range, I just wanted to do a little bit of everything. Range is a range of everything um, based on like my experience in the early stages of my career. And what I learned about myself was the more I did, the less I did really well. So yeah, I could do a lot of things okay, but there was only a few things I could do really, really well. And those were the things that ended up serving me in my career and in my in both my personal and professional life, to be honest. There are the things I found more joy in doing. There are the things that I felt added more value to the industry. There are the things I could charge more to do because I was the expert in them, you know? So I think there's something to be said about that as well. One of the things that, from my perspective, like, and and really it seems like what range is built on is like your ability. And one of the things that you're really good at is like teasing out, you know, okay, there's so much going on in the world. Like, how do I look at all of this information and then tease out like the trends mm-hmm. from that? Like, what what's that experience like for you? How do you do that? Like, and you know, don't give away your secret, but yeah. like, how do you? I wish it was age, one thing. Yeah, in in this age of like so much information and it's a global world that's becoming smaller, but also, you know, there's just constant information. Like how do you synthesize all of that and then identify, okay, this is like the valuable nugget that I see out of that or the trend or, you know, this is something that's coming when there's so much going on. Yeah, it's really hard now to do it even more so than it used to be because before everything was on the internet and everything was on mobile and like everyone was looking at the same information you know like you had to go out and find that intel so whether that was like being a part of a subculture or studying subcultures or going out in the world and seeing art and music and design and materials up close, you, you know, now you can just literally jump online and kind of like, like, oh, here's the thing. This is the color palette. This is the, this is the important meme to pay attention to, you know? So it almost like 
in a way it's kind of doing a disservice to the art of like research and analysis. And, you know, it's really essential for brands and, you know, people to know what's on the horizon so they can align on their goals internally and like, you know, the directions they want to head in. So I would say the way that I do this job now is I still take a very old school analog approach to forecasting when I can um, out in the world when things aren't, um, you know, in the current state of a pandemic crisis, but going to exhibits, going um, to see shops, engaging with people, watching, kind of taking a more anthropological approach to the way that I like engage with, with people around me. I, I think there, you have to have a curious nature to be a trend forecaster that has a like inherently part of your personality. Um, so, you know, you're looking at the big picture of the world and what's happening with sustainability, what's happening with pop culture, what's happening with innovations and in materials and how do all of those things influence each other what's the common thread between them and how can you funnel that through the lens of like why it's relevant to a brand in the outdoor industry <laughs> that's always like the challenging part because you can look at everything and and i actually that's part of the reason i started range is i worked for these big trend forecasting agencies that reported on these global macro trends that were meant to be very wide ranging and kind of cast a really big net. So the whole industry could benefit from the information. And I felt it was just too big. I wanted to be able to serve my clients in the industry I was working in really focused, relevant, actionable insights that they could be using not only now, but in, you know, the long and the short term essentially. And um, I wanted to be able to have that more kind of like bespoke relationship with people and with brands and clients and to say like, yeah, you know, this is really important in the big picture, but is it important to you as an outdoor brand? Maybe not so much. Maybe it's not something that we need to pay attention to, but here's a trend that's relevant to you or your brand or the products you're building. And this is why, and this is why it will, you know, add value to your portfolio, you know, going forward. Right. That how often is a brand like when you're talking to a brand um how often are they just looking for like comfort or like clarity or like some semblance of like certainty like yeah. moving into the future is i feel like in a way that's almost what you're selling is like in an uncertain world like we all do i feel like we don't like uncertainty i don't i like to yeah. know what's going on i like control i you know especially now everything is seems out of control. Um, how often do you feel like you're selling like comfort, clarity, like some kind of direction and like a certainty for these companies or, or individuals? I would say 75% of the work I'm doing is like just confirmation mm. and validation. Um, 25% is probably like absolutely new aha moment ideas. And then literally 75% of the ideas are like, a gut check like okay we are yep we, we 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 you know 
we checked off that box. Like we are aligned. We're on the right path. We are, you know, this is what the industry is doing. There is some confirmation and there's some validation to it. A lot of the work we do too is like design therapy where like my role is to like, is to just go in and like listen and analyze and to respond to either like insecurities or that, you know, the unknown, you know, like reassure them that they're on the right path or they're doing the right thing or the market is going to validate um, whatever they're going to um, be launching or a new product they're bringing to market. So it's very, very interesting. Um, it's definitely not black and white. There's a lot of gray happening <laughs> in the work we do. Right. So what, what has that been like for you during the current climate? Is that, are they looking for similar things? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I feel like, um, and I also, I sit in a, I'm in a unique position because I work with like different verticals at brands all sometimes within the same company. So oftentimes I'll work with the communications team or the marketing team. I will work with the product and the product development teams or the design teams. Um, Sometimes I'll work with the insights teams that are working on the strategy. So it really just depends on who I'm talking to. But, you know, product teams tend to be like heads down. You know, everyone is still working on, um, you know, their, their long and short-term goals or working towards those, whether that be, you know, rolling out 2022 or starting 2022, things like that. And on the marketing side, it's usually more about like communications in terms of like crisis management. You know, it kind of went from this idea of like business as usual to like support mode to like survival mode for a lot of companies. So figuring out like how they communicate that authentically through their brand lens has definitely been something I've been doing a lot of. And just, you know, being supportive and being understanding, you know, we've gone through a lot of, a lot of the brands I work with, I work with for a really long time. We have a really like long-standing relationship with them. And, you know, it's unfortunate when a relationship has to come to an end because of something that you did not prepare for, like a global pandemic. So that's, you know, it's been really interesting to kind of ride the highs and lows of um, how other people's businesses are doing during this time. And just knowing that we're kind of all in this together and being really sensitive to that. I think speaking of like the great leveling, I think like there's just been empathy kind of across the board and I hope even more of that. Um, but, but I think you're, you're speaking to that. Um, and I've seen that more and even like on a really silly note, right. I think people are forgiving when their, your zoom call doesn't work. Right. Or the Wi-Fi is not great. It's like, even with those little things, I think people are just realizing, Oh, we're all doing our best. We're all trying, we're all figuring this out together. Uh, and hopefully that continues forward. Right. Where like empathy is one of those takeaways and things that's just like instilled in us moving forward. And hopefully like this generation is like, or just, you know, this, you know, all of us living through this right now become like the empathetic generation, right? That, that moves yeah. forward through this. And, also, and flexible. I think like flexible is mm-hmm. another really important word, like just being like flexible and like, you know, having 
realistic expectations of people. You know, I think we were getting into this, like we were just on this hamster wheel where we were like, work, 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 career, 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 you know, success, success, success. And like, nobody was willing to get off that hamster wheel and everyone got off at the same time. And everyone's like, whoa, 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 this doesn't work for me. I don't want to be available 24 hours a day. I want to have, you know, personal and a private life and a business life that don't all kind of blend together. I mean, especially as a small business owner, you know, when I, the first five, six, seven years of range, um, I was working, you know, hundred plus hours a week on the weekends and the evenings, kind of whatever needed to be done to keep the business afloat. And like, I'm no longer willing to work that way. Cause I just, I realize now that it's not healthy for me. It's not productive for me. It's not productive for my clients if they want the best work for me. So it's given me an opportunity to create boundaries for myself. And I believe that coming out of this pandemic, we're going to see a lot more of those similar boundaries being created, you know, people preferring to work from home because they feel safer until we have vaccines and, and, and more um, access to, to standardized testing for, for, you know, the, for COVID, like you're not going to really be able to argue with somebody if they feel like their life is at risk. Yeah. We, we had a really good conversation with the HR, um, business partner for for specialized she's in salt lake lena laxo and and um we, we she said yeah moving forward i you know if a, if someone ever asked me like if i wanted to work remote or if they wanted to work remotely i don't know if i could go back to them and say well here's the reason why you can't right the yeah. company doesn't allow that you know the, so the justification right is um Kind of goes away entirely. Yeah, yeah, we know we can. We've all kind of had to figure it out. Um, and I think that'll be interesting moving forward just to see how many companies really do stick to that. And I think I just saw today, you know, Jack Dorsey with, with Twitter just said, oh, all our employees can work f- remotely forever. Like, okay, well, that, it'll go. be interesting to see how that plays out, um, you know, moving into the future. But how, you know, how has it been working with a remote team you know, as long as you have, you, I mean, the company was founded on that principle, right? Yeah. Of everyone working remotely. How has that been? I mean, that had to have helped develop some resilience, some flexibility, some empathy leading up to this. What, what's that experience been like for you founding the company that way? Definitely. Um, I worked remotely for Promo Steel because they were based in Paris. So that first job that I had, so I was, that was my early twenties and that was like my first real job job. And that was kind of really disorienting because I had never been to an office. You have to learn what um, works best for you, how to stay motivated, how to stay productive, like how to create schedules for yourself. Um, there's not someone there to micromanage you throughout the day. And then I went to an office at StyleSite and worked there for six years. And I always felt like I was working at home on really important things. Like when I wanted to write and I get into the zone, I would actually always do that work at home. So I actually couldn't get into that space creatively I needed to be in when I was in a traditional office environment. When I started range, um, it was just myself and I had no idea what I was really building. I was just kind of throwing darts at the wall and seeing what was sticking. And I knew that I wanted to work with people who had similar um, non-traditional skill sets like I did, especially when it came to like trend in the outdoor and active space. And I knew those people wouldn't all be in the same place. 
they would be all over the city, all over the, the country, all over the world in different cities, operating in different time zones. And what I was really focused on was like their understanding of something so nuanced as opposed to like their, you know, like, you know, how close they were to me geographically or regionally. And that's kind of how we started building the team. And I also wanted to think about this just new way of working where we um, were able to still get outside and, you know, experience the outdoors at our own leisure while being productive. Like I thought those two things could exist together. And again, going back to earlier in the conversation when it's this idea of like, I'm really stubborn and I want to be able to like do things my own way. Like I wanted, I couldn't offer much to people like a 401k or, you know, some fancy, you know, accolades in terms of like what I could provide to them, but I could give them flexibility. So if they wanted to be, living in Portland and riding their bike two or three hours a day, in addition to getting their work done, like I could accommodate that, you know, obviously as long as they're getting their work done or if they wanted to go backpacking from Thursday to Sunday or Thursday to Saturday and then work on Sunday, like I could accommodate that. I could say, okay, sure, as long as your work is done and we're meeting our goals and the expectations are outlined and clear and everyone's kind of responsible for themselves, like that's all I could offer to people. And it wasn't for everybody. Like that kind of non-traditional approach is not going to be for everyone. Like I noticed the people um, who needed more of a traditional environment, going to an office, office hours, a lot of micromanaging, like they were not the kind of people that would thrive on our team. So over the years, I have just found this incredible um, cohort of other kind of non-traditional, non-linear thinking people that have all really thrived in this kind of um, scenario. And we've been working remotely this whole time. So nothing's changed for us, you know, like we're really good at Zoom calls and Google Hangouts and um, having, you know, virtual check-ins throughout the week. It's just kind of the nature of our, our business already. Yeah, I was going to say, so not, I guess, has anything changed at all? You said nothing's changed, but, and, you know, is, is there anything different at all considering everything that's been going on? Yeah, I mean, on? my like, toddler is banging on my door yeah, <laughs> yeah. the whole thing. Uh, she's not at school. And my husband is also working from home upstairs um, in our dining room. And, you know, so that's different. But, I mean, we're still, you know, it's like business as usual for us. And we've definitely had to get a little bit more creative when it comes to retaining clients, you know, as budgets are getting cut. Um, we're usually the first thing to get cut, you know, we're kind of like, um, a nice to have it. It's not a necessity to work with a creative agency or a consulting agency. So we definitely have to figure out ways we can add more value to those relationships with our clients. But, um, yeah, we've been, We've been just keeping it moving and, and just kind of pivoting and reacting and evolving. I, I loved what you said earlier about, um, you know, being creative and like you feel most creative when you're, you know, in your home, your home office, right? Mm-hmm. Um, rather than like at, at some company headquarters or, you know, sterile building. Um, you know, I, I feel the same way. Like I, 
or like I feel that way when I do get to go outside, you know, I've had a, you know, a little bit more time to go and bike and I've realized, oh, that's when I get some of my best ideas, right? Yeah. And I think about people who, you know, have a longer commute and, and now they don't have that anymore. And, and maybe they have that opportunity to go out and like, maybe that's where they get their creativity or their best ideas. I've found that for myself and I come back and recharged and ready and, and, you know, working from home, I'm, I'm in, like similar. If I have an idea that I want to work on and, you know, I, I usually have that when I'm at home or I'm out on my bike. Do you see companies having to be more conscious of the products that they decide to go to market with? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the silver lining here is that the environment has had a moment to breathe and like this collective pause has really, you know, done wonders for air quality and, you know, just, you know, carbon offsets and things that are just like, you know, you don't even realize are adding just so much static into the world. And um, I think that consumers are going to be buying less, but better. And we were already seeing that trend emerge, slow fashion, slow food, slow content, slow beauty. You know, like, I don't think that goes away. I just think it gets more heightened, more serious, more, you know, if this product isn't going to serve a multitude of purposes or be made with intention or be made with um, sustainable materials or quality materials, you know, I just think people are going to be less likely to invest in them. Um, I also think people are really paying attention to how brands do respond to production and, you know, during the pandemic and, you know, pivoting to making personal protective gear and surgical masks and donating and, you know, working with frontline responders. Like people are watching and paying attention to see who is doing what, you know, like we've got choices now. We've got more choices than we've ever had. And like, we don't just have to add something to the cart and have it shipped, you know, you know, we can say like, well, what is Amazon doing to support their frontline workers? And how are they treating, you know, their teams and regions and underrepresented areas in the world? You know, like we know more than we've ever known about the supply chain and about the business that businesses are doing. So it's like up to us as consumers to, I think, demand more, um, more transparency, more ethical manufacturing, more alternatives to the way we've been doing things up until this point. So you think companies like design teams will, will be conscious as well? Like certainly the consumer is going to be more conscious. Do you see design teams looking at their line and saying, do we really need to make all of this? I mean, I think the supply chain is going to be a play a role in that, you know, like obviously there's going to be a huge course correction when it comes to manufacturing in Asia and China. And, you know, I think it's going to come down to like, well, what can you get made? How well can you get it made? How ethically can you get it made? How quickly can you get it made? You know, like all of these are going to, like, these are all going to become criteria that like goes into the decision-making process and like how much more excess and consumption are we adding into the equation? There's um, a brand that I, I like called Jessie Cam. They make pants that like every girl in New York and LA and Portland has a pair of, and including myself. And 
she issued a statement last year, actually, about the fact that they were not going to grow. They were going to actually push back against the expectations of growth so they could control um, how they scaled their business in terms of manufacturing, how much they wanted to manufacture, how much they wanted to, um, new products they wanted to introduce into the world. And I thought that was really fascinating. Like everyone, again, this idea of this like Western, the way we interpret success and growth and scaling businesses and startups and unicorns and investment and return. It's like, that was a broken system. I don't necessarily think we're going to be held to those standards anymore. And that's going to be up to us to, to break that, to break that cycle. Um, it's not serving people anymore. So I do hope that that plays a role in the way designers and production teams decide to create and build product. Like, do we need to have a thousand, you know, beanies? <laughs> like, does this, you know, do we need to have 65 hard shells that do something slightly different or can there be one hard shell that does a lot of things for us? And, you know, I think that's going to be something we'll see more of. Right. It seems like that's been one of the main challenges of the industry in general is, you know, you and I go to outdoor retailer and, and you kind of walk around and in some ways you, you could take the labels off of, you know, most of the products and you wouldn't be able to tell a difference. And, and yeah, I think it's going to call into question like, well, do we need to come out with a new color weight every season? Like, do you have to do that? And, and if there's you know, no trade show to go to, or there's right. no fashion week to premiere it at. What, what's or, a season anymore? What yeah. is a season anymore? Like, what are yeah. the rules? And I think yeah. that's like going to go out the window with everything, even, you know, from product to social media to content creation and storytelling. It's like, we have just been doing things the way we've been doing them because someone established that or, you know, like a group of people established it, or this has just been the way it's been done. And like, no, it doesn't have to be done that way. Yeah. So I come up with a new way to d dismantle that system and, and disrupt it. Right. I, I had an interesting conversation with um, Don Wittenberger who, who owns Rivendell Mountain Works. He was also the founder of the Yakworks. And we were talking a little off air about, you know, the seventies era, like, outdoor brands that that had a lot of influence at that time and and he and I were kind of talking and he said yeah our business just wasn't sustainable because we were making really durable good products that people bought one of and then they never came back to us and and uh and so he's he said that's why a lot of these equipment manufacturers go to apparel right it's like they've got to grow into a, apparel that you know people are going to have to go back to or you know the style's going to change and so you got to get a new one and yeah there's there's definitely got to be an opportunity to rethink okay, can a company sell one thing to one person and they don't have to necessarily come back to get something else and, and that company be viable, right? Well, now you're getting into like existential, like capitalism, like this. Yeah. We're gonna, yeah. we want to go down this rabbit hole, I would love to, but like it's really, it would be an absolute realignment of our entire, the infrastructure of, of like humanity, essentially. <laughs> so that's, that's part two that's part that's two, part two. We'll, we'll leave that one for next time we're gonna just um, burn it all down and then rebuild it back up yeah we'll thing. we'll talk about that one next time um uh, just a couple more questions just on a personal note and i'll let you go but um what what have you learned about yourself through this experience so far uh that i don't have to be at a meeting in person <laughs> and that um actually something dawned on me i i considered myself to be an environmentalist and you know a sustainable minded person and 
I realized I absolutely wasn't. I was flying all over the world, you know, every two, three weeks I was on a plane, sometimes more than that. And like, just again, like breaking that cycle has been really impactful for me. And just this idea that I don't necessarily, I can keep things local um, has been really nice. And I just feel like such a better version of myself when I'm not constantly on the move, you know, feeling grounded and anchored has really made me feel um, fulfilled. So that's nice. So this question, it, it's been, you know, different for people who, who haven't already been working from, from home, but I'm sure you'll have some, some good insights as well. Considering you've already been working at home, um, you know, how do you still stay creative, you know, being kind of in the same space all the time? And, and I know you get out too, and you get to go outside, yeah. but how do you stay creative? Honestly, a lot of it is comes down to ritual for me. Um, like understanding myself, I'm great in the morning. Um, I'm not so great in the evening. Understanding that about myself, understanding that if I do hit a roadblock or whether that's writer's block or I can't get past something like having to step away and go outside, go for a run, go for a hike, ride my bike, just get, shake it up a little bit. Um, change my environment is, is really something that, that helps me stay creative and, you know, like checking in also limiting the amount of news I, I take in right now. Um, it's so paralyzing the news and the news cycle. And that's not, I'm not suggesting that we should check out completely and not know what's happening in the world. I choose to listen to the news on NPR a few times throughout the day. <laughs> um, and that's kind of how I stay abreast of what's happening in the world. But if you were, I had to break up with the news because it was just getting, it was getting so heavy and it was just really impacting my ability to be a creative individual and to function as a human in the world. So I think just really being empathetic to your own needs is, is important. That's great. Yeah, I think a lot of the time we we forget about our own needs. So that's a great reminder. Um, what's coming up with range? I know you've got some exciting things, um, you know, and, and I don't know if this has been part of kind of a larger pivot. Um, you've got some interesting things coming out. Sure. We're rolling out a new trend product called the Range Horizon Report, which has been um, in the making for quite some time. Um, it's going to be deployed every Tuesday. And it will be a clear blueprint of immediate cultural shifts, consumer insights, and creative direction for the outdoor, active, wellness, and lifestyle markets. Um, it's essentially been designed so we could guide subscribers um, on what to watch, why it matters, and how to take action. Basically going back to like my entire like methodology and mantra in life, you know, is this useful now? <laughs> how can I use it and how can it be, um, how is it relevant to what I'm working on? It's going to be positioned like well within reach. So the subscription is going to start at $9.99 a month or $99 annually so that every team, every type of team can access um, those insights. And it's kind of meant to be a conduit to our more in-depth work. So a window into our more extensive labor-intensive um, trend reports we do um, for clients seasonally. Oh, that's great. I'm excited to, to see what that looks like. It's, yeah. I, yeah. Um, 
how do people stay in touch with you, in touch with Range, and continue to hear what, what you all are working on? Yeah, so we are, um, our, all of our social media platforms, you can follow us at This Is Range, as well as our website, also thisisrange.com. And if you'd like to subscribe to our newsletter, I would definitely encourage that because that's definitely the best place to keep up with what we're working on, where we're going to be, whether that's IRL or URL, um, and what we're excited about. So I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit more about that. Of course. Well, everything that you're working on, I've found so valuable. And uh, ever since we've met, I've just wanted to continue to hear what, what you're working on, what you're doing, everything you put out. Like I just, I have to read it, watch it, participate in it. Um, appreciate all you do. And you've always been good, so, so good to us, to our students, to the program. Um, so it's good to, good to talk to you and good to see you. I know. It's like, I think that's the, why I am in this industry 15 years later. It's like you meet people that you just want to hold on to and you just want to keep, you know, seeing what they do next and seeing where the world takes them. And I, I feel so strongly about so many of the people I've encountered in the outdoor industry, um, that I want to know forever. So the feeling is mutual. Well, thank you. Well, thanks again for taking time. Again, glad to hear you're doing well and you're safe and, and, and healthy right now. So thanks again for taking the time. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. Subscribe and listen for more outdoor stories and content wherever podcasts are found on highlandermag.com and each Sunday at 4 p.m. on Aggie Radio, 92.3 FM in Cache Valley.